Justin, but you can call me Jay Swag, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk with Swag. Appreciate you stopping by, giving a listen, and hanging out with us here. Um, and it looks like the video is a little jumpy. I don't, I, I can't seem to win anywhere I go. It just doesn't seem to want to work. I don't know if my computer is just not good enough to handle live streaming video. Um... And it keeps telling me the FPS is too low, but then it doesn't tell me where I can fix it. So that's really annoying. Keller, what's up, my man? I'm glad you're able to stop by and catch us uh, for a live stream. <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't know if there's much I can do in regards to the video quality right now. It just keeps like dropping out randomly. I don't know how to fix it, which is really annoying. Um, oh well, so hopefully the audio, is, let me know if the audio is like cutting in and out too and then I'll just try to like, then I'll try to actually fix it and get restarted here. But um, if the audio is fine and the video is a little jumpy, I'm just gonna try to power through this one and try to figure it out for next week. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so let's get started. Apologies, audio listeners, but you're used to this by now. This is what we do on the show. We figure out technical difficulties, and we Google stuff. Um, okay, so this is episode 124, and I really, in a way, I really didn't want to have to do this episode, um, but we're here and for two reasons, I didn't want to do it. A is because the NBA season is officially over now. And now is the longest time of the year for me where there's just no basketball on. And uh, I mean, luckily we have the Olympics this year to help us through. But also we don't because the Olympics are a nightmare right now. And we may cover that next week's episode. Um, our women's team lost their first uh, <clears throat> women's soccer team lost their first match today i think it was three nil to sweden um so that broke their like 46 game uh unbeaten streak so that was a bummer um but yeah so we don't get basketball now until late september early october which is a bummer but the other reason of why i didn't want to have to do this episode is because i have to talk about the suns and chris paul losing the finals and that makes me even more sad than there not being any basketball because it could have, we could have gone out, I could have gone out on top um, with Chris Paul winning his first NBA championship and a basketball player that I care about finally actually winning a championship um, and a team that I care about. <clears throat> but no, uh, instead we have Giannis and the Bucks winning, uh, which let me right off the bat just say I have no issue with that. I, like, if it wasn't for... Chris Paul being in the finals, I probably would have been rooting for Giannis in the Bucks because I really, I really do like Giannis. Um, the way that he plays can bother me sometimes, um, but I think he's a great person. Um, 
I do think he, this is well-deserved, well-earned, obviously. Worked very, very hard um, and put up a monster game six closing game last night with uh, 50 points, which is insane. Uh, I think he's only like the fourth or fifth player, I think, to ever put up 50 in a finals game. Um, And first player to ever average like 35, 13, and 5 on 55-plus field goal percentage in the finals. Uh, He's the third ever player alongside uh, Elijah Juan and uh, Michael Jordan to win MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and Finals MVP. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, He... You know, he played an incredible game, incredible series. Um, you know, people you could technically say that game one uh, was a bad game and it was off, but he still finished with, I think, like 23 and 15. Um, he was just kind of getting in the groove and probably dealing with some nerves. Um, so overcame that. He had two 40-point games and then the 50-point game um, to, to seal the deal. And they ended up actually winning four in a row as well. So while the series went six, um, you know, they were down two Oh going back home for game three. And then they ended up winning four straight. So to, to do that. And especially over a team like the Suns, who I'm not going to say they were like this monster team that like, Oh my gosh, how in the world did the bucks beat the Suns? But <clears throat> you're in the finals. So if you make it to the finals, you're a really good team. Uh, and for any team to win four games in a row at any point in the finals is uh, pretty insane. So, again, congratulations to the Bucks. I'm uh, I'm a sad boy because my favorite cl- favorite player, Chris Paul, uh, was unable to to uh, get the job done. Uh, I mean, not like the the loss, the series loss falls just on him. Um, so speaking of which, let's kind of get into the uh, <clears throat> some of the talking points for the series and specifically for Game Six um, of kind of what happened, what went down, um, what the Suns could have done better, what the Bucks did right, and then kind of moving forward, looking towards like next season and this off season, uh, what is it looking like? Um, truthfully, two games in, I was convinced the Bucks were better without him in some ways. I'm Drew Holiday is stuck in limbo and there's no point guard slot in the lineup with Giannis in. Yeah, I, I definitely, I had that feeling um, coming out of the Atlanta series. So they lose game one at home. That's the only home game they lose in the, this entire playoffs, by the way. Uh, but so they lose game one to Atlanta. Trey goes off for like 52 points, I think. And you're immediately like, oh, like, this Hawks team really could do it. They really could like make it to the finals. Um, and then the, the it, it ends up being, I think two, two going back to Milwaukee for game five. Uh, and then that is when Giannis went down. He went down in game four, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, and then, the Bucks, I mean, they fairly handily won the, the the last two games, games five and six. 
uh, without Giannis. But we have to also remember that the Hawks were without Trey. And so that's one thing that you can definitely look at uh, in those Eastern Conference finals of like what would have happened if Trey didn't get injured. And I know that you can play that game with every team because it's like, oh, well, what would have happened with the Suns if Anthony Davis didn't get injured for the Lakers, Jamal Murray didn't get injured for the Nuggets, Kawhi Leonard didn't get injured for the Clippers. You can play that for pretty much every team that was in the playoffs um, and teams that missed the playoffs. But specifically with the Hawks and Trae Young, it's different because he stepped on the foot of a referee who was like not in a great position and like totally screwed his ankle up. So everyone else throughout the playoffs or the regular season who got injured was just, it was just an actual injury. And I'm not going to say that those injuries are those players faults. Like it's not, you know, it's not Anthony Davis's fault that he pulled his groin or, or whatever. But at the same time, you can also then look at their uh, athletic trainers, their, you know, their health, like their nutrition and their diet regimen and their conditioning and, and strength training and stuff like that. And you can see, because then you see someone like Giannis, whose knee bent backwards like 15 degrees the wrong way uh, and less than a week later was in the NBA Finals, like putting up 40 points. Um, so... It's, you know, it's tough, but I think it is interesting just to see what could have happened if Trey didn't step on that referee's uh, uh, foot and didn't twist his ankle. But all that being said, to get back to the original point, um, <clears throat> there, there, I did have major concerns going into the finals. I was like, this could be a gentleman's sweep here for the Suns because I think it's actually good for the Suns that Giannis is back and going to be playing in game one. Because I was like, A, I don't know if he's going to be 100% healthy. And B, I don't know if the Bucks are better off with or without him. Um, but Giannis proved me wrong on both of those points of A, he was 100% healthy. Or if he wasn't, like him not being 100% is still really scary. Uh, and B, they are definitely better with him. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of the uh, talking heads for the NBA had a field day with that of saying, you know, Chris Middleton is the Batman for this team and, and Giannis is just the, the Robin and, uh, you know, Middleton is the better player, blah, blah, blah. Good amount of slander going on and overreaction. Um, but at the end of the day, Giannis is one of the best players in the NBA. You may not like how he plays, myself partially included in that. Um but he's really talented and people still don't know how to to defend him and guard him. And you can, you know, you have people like Harden, James Harden a few years ago saying, um, you know, uh, I have to actually have skill and learn how to play basketball. Like I'm not just seven feet tall and I can't just run at the basket um, and either get fouled or just like dunk on someone. I have to actually have skill, which like obviously – if you take it at a very base level and you like watch Giannis play and you watch James Harden play, you'd be like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's totally right. Like all Giannis says is just run at the basket and he's always either going to get fouled or he's going to overpower them and get the basket. Um, but it's way, way more nuanced than that. It's way more complicated than that. Um, but 
at the end of the day, he is still immensely skilled and it still takes a lot of skill to be, you know, 6'10", 245 pounds as, as strong and muscular as he is, but also have the agility that he has and the, the poise and the uh, discipline that he has. Because you also have to look at like a lot of these, he, he kind of showed out defensively in these finals and you saw a lot of plays, you know, a lot of highlight plays of him getting some really good blocks or defensive stops. I mean, he had five blocks last night in the game. <clears throat> and, and the more impressive thing to me is that, like, he did that without fouling. And there are always going to be people, especially, I'm sure, like, a lot of more casual Suns fans would be like, oh, like, he was just getting a lot of favorable calls or, like, favorable no calls against him. Like, he was fouling. Like, there's no way he wasn't fouling. But if you actually go back and watch the replays, like, he's not fouling. And he's just, like, on these blocks, he's just getting all ball he has really good body control. He's good at going straight up, but like getting like the good stops or like the steals, like you just, you can't, you can't actually look at it objectively and deny that he's just an incredible defender who knows how to play lockdown defense without, uh, you know, without fouling, which is really impressive. Um, we got some comments here. Let's see. Love to hear your thoughts on how the bucks got here. Um, what led to the, let what led them to NBA champs instead of um, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Mavs, etc.? Or do you think that they're the best team slash roster? Um, I think. I mean, to be honest, I think the main reason that they got to the finals was because Kyrie Irving and James Harden got injured, and I think the big reason one of the reasons that they won the championship and they won the finals was because Chris Paul was playing hurt and the Suns just didn't have any defensive answer for Giannis because you were you were uh you were giving something up regardless of who you put on him so you can either put Aiton on him who can more match him with the strength and the length um, and can kind of be a better rim protector in that way. But he can't keep up with him agility wise. Like Giannis can like cross him over um, and then he can get, he can blow by Deandre. Ayton. Um, and Deandre Ayton is still learning a, a little more body control as to opposed to, so that he doesn't uh, get in foul trouble, which we saw them take advantage of in the finals. And then the other option is you put Jay Crowder on him who is a really good defender, really good like on-ball defender, um, and can keep his body in front of Giannis and kind of prevent him from getting by him. But he's just not nearly as tall or strong as Giannis, so Giannis can then just keep backing him down, and he has the advantage, and he'll take him to low post, and it's just game over at that point. So I don't want to take anything away from the Bucks. Uh, I don't want that to seem like it's like, yeah, I mean, they just got really lucky because I do think they're a really good team because the other reason that they won as well is because they were a significantly better defensive team than the Suns. I think the Suns got a little bit of a, uh, how do you, how, how do I say this? Like they were almost mislabeled, I think throughout this postseason as being, like an elite defensive team because they had the number one defense throughout the playoffs. Um, but you have to then remember they had the Lakers 
um, where Davis was hurt. Uh, LeBron was at 100%. Then they had the Nuggets, who didn't have Jamal Murray. And then they had the Clippers without um, Kawhi Leonard. And so they were playing each of these teams almost without any of their number one offensive weapons. And so not to say that the Suns' defense is bad uh, and that it was just like totally like blown out of proportion, but I think, A, if all those teams were healthy, they don't make it to the finals. I don't think anyone can disagree with that. Um, but B, I don't think they have nearly as high ranking of a defense throughout the postseason uh, if they're playing those teams at full health. Um, but at the end of the day, that's just how the cookie crumbles. That's how the NBA works. People get hurt. Uh, people get some some good luck on their side. And you just work with what you get. I, I'm. <clears throat> this is literally like the 10th week in a row that I'm going to be saying this. But again, I think it always bears repeating, especially if, you know, there's new people checking out the, the show. But I, I'm so done with and I'm so tired of hearing people saying, oh, like, uh, you know, this season has an asterisk. Like, congrats to the Bucks, but, like, this championship doesn't really count. Um, I just think that's a load of hogwash, and it's just completely disrespectful to not only, like, the Bucks, but to those teams who were playing with those injured players. Because then you're saying to like Jokic, to Nikola Jokic, who is the MVP and the Nuggets, like, yeah, your team like doesn't really count as like a real team without Jamal Murray. Like, come on, like you guys are nothing without him. Like you couldn't do anything without him. Like this doesn't really count. Uh, and so not only is it like disrespectful to them, but it's also disrespectful then to like the Suns, for instance, because they were definitely the big media narrative was, uh, oh, they're getting lucky. Um, like this doesn't count. Like they had all these teams without their star players. Like this doesn't count. Like this is a joke. Um, but it's like, so, so we're going to say this, this championship, this season doesn't count, especially if the Suns win because they did a good job of staying healthy. Huh? That, that makes no logical sense to me. Like you wouldn't say, uh, you know, well, the Warriors were just, like, really good at three-point shooting. So, like, that doesn't count because they were, like, a better three-point shooting team than anyone else. Like, like this like this deserves an asterisk. Like, that doesn't that doesn't count because they were, like, we're better three-point shooters than everyone else. It's the same with, like, the Suns of being, like, yeah, like, they, they were better than every other team in the postseason, really, except for, like, the Bucks. you could say, at staying healthy and having good conditioning and good training and, like... I don't know why we're trying to disparage and like take away from a team who did a really good job at keeping their players healthy and, and, and safe. Like, I just don't get that. And also they didn't because in the first round, Chris Paul really hurt his shoulder and was not the same for like the first, like four games of that series. Uh, he played great. They were fully healthy for the Nuggets series. And that's why I think, that was one of the many reasons of why they swept. Um, but then immediately following uh, them sweeping the Nuggets, Chris Paul tests positive for COVID. Um, and 
so he misses the first two games in of the Western Conference Finals and then comes back for game three, having just had COVID, uh, and he was symptomatic, so having to do with that. And then they get into the finals, and f- you know, six minutes into the game one, Dario Saric uh, goes down, tears his ACL, he's done, uh, and he's like their seventh man off the bench. You know, their sixth man is campaign, but when he comes in, Dario Saric would always come in as well. Um, and then we also learned that in game six of the conference finals against the Clippers, Chris Paul hurt his hand and most likely like at least sprained his, his, his left hand, if not like fractured it. Um, so they had to deal with injuries too. And then obviously the Bucks had Giannis's hyperextended knee, Dante and DiVincenzo, their backup point guard, um, out for a decent chunk of the playoffs with uh, his uh, ankle injury, I think it was. So, like, it's not even like the Suns just never got hurt. Like, they did get hurt, and they got hurt at some pretty insignificant times, but they made it to the, the finals, and they weren't, you know, after last night, they weren't complaining, like, well, yeah, but, like, Shards got injured, so, like, it was re- like we were kind of screwed from that point. Like, they just took it head on and just, like, moved forward and, and, and went with it. So... I think that narrative is ridiculous. Um, but I think obviously that helped play in the Bucks' favor and it could have gone the other way of Giannis's knee not healing quickly and it being worse off and he misses a couple games or he's not anywhere near 100%. Then I think maybe this finals goes the other way. But that was just how the cookie crumbled. Um, and you can look at literally like I think every single finals ever, one team had someone injured that made a difference. So it always takes a certain amount of luck. Um, How are the viewing numbers? Um, The viewing numbers were way up from last year. Um, I know, uh, so I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but the Eastern Conference, um, the first, was it the first round? No, it was the second round. Eastern Conference semifinals, both of those game sevens um, were like the highest rated playoff games uh, since like 2001 or something. And then each finals game was up at least 50%, um, if not more so than last year's finals. Um, so the numbers were way up. The numbers were good. And yeah, that speaks exactly to another point that I've continually made of no one wants to watch these finals. Uh, this is horrible for the league. Like you have to imagine they're going to do everything they can to prevent this from happening again. Like this is terrible. This is awful. No one's going to watch this. All those talking heads, all those people were wrong and they did significantly better than their poster boy, LeBron James and the poster team of the NBA, the Lakers being in the finals last year. Um, in another big market like Miami. So that just like that whole narrative is like down the toilet um, and it's complete garbage. And I think if you go on Twitter and if you, well, especially if you were to go on like last night, like right after the game, but even if you were to go on now and just like search through NBA finals tweets, everyone you're seeing who's an actual like fan of the game is going to be saying, these are the best finals we've had like in years. Um, probably I think anyone would say this is the best finals, at least since 2016 when the Cavs came down from three, one. And then before that, probably the best since like 2013, um, or 14 when the, uh, 
Heat played the Spurs. And now it's like Kawhi Leonard's coming out party. But um, everyone was saying like these finals were incredible. They were really fun to watch. They were really closely contested. Um, I, 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 you know, I obviously completely agree. I mean, I would have loved to have seen them gone the other way. But at the end of the day, they were still really entertaining, uh, intense games of basketball. Um, so I, I really enjoyed them. I think this will be really good for the league. I think it's really good for someone like Giannis to win, who is kind of this up and coming star, like, uh, like a Jason Tatum, like a Luca, like a Zion. I mean, he's a little further along than some of those guys, but he has gotten all of this hype around him and he's won some MVPs. He's won a defensive player of the year. He had this narrative going against him of he can't get out of the out of like the Eastern Conference. He can he's never going to be good enough to actually take a team to the finals, let alone win a championship. And he did exactly that this year. Um, and he had some great help. He had a great supporting cast in you know Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Bobby Portis um, was huge in the finals. Brooke Lopez, like it was it was a really good team. Um, but they. They definitely, um, you know, proved a lot of haters wrong. Um, but I, I don't think I, I, I think I got a massive tangent from the original question, which was, okay, so I answered how did they get here, but um, what led them here instead of a, a, you know, quote unquote, better team like the Lakers or Clippers or something like that. So I don't, to answer your question, I don't think the Bucks, um are like, this is going to sound so like against what I just said. I think it's really hard to deny that the Nets are the best team in the NBA right now. I mean, they've already opened up as the odds on favorites to win the championship next year. Um, you know, but the thing that goes against them of is like that, you know, they're fairly injury prone. Like if you look at the careers of Kyrie, uh, Harden and and Kevin Durant, like the three of them have had their issues with being injury prone um, and missing significant chunks of time for injuries. So again, that's not like a direct like knock on them, but like, you know, it is an issue when a certain, when a specific player is continually dealing with injuries and it's not just like bad luck. It's like some of that does have to do with like your strength training and your conditioning and stuff like that. So I don't know. Like, I do think the Bucks are the best team, but I also don't. Um, so it's hard to say because, again, if you're just looking at the season right now with how it, f with how it played out, yeah, they're the best team because they won the title, you know? I always think it's, you know, it always bothers me when, like, coming out of the series, if you were to, like, watch the finals and then someone would be like, yeah, I mean, like, the better team lost. Like, I think we can all say that the Suns were definitely the better team, but like they just got unlucky or like this didn't go right for them or whatever. It's like, well, then they're not the better team because the better team will always come out on top. Like whether it be with, you know, Oh, well they had really, they got some really unfair foul calls and they, you know, you know, Scott Foster, like he has an issue. Like, no, like you played yourself into this position where, if you're blaming a referee for like losing you the finals, like that's on you. Like you need to put yourself in a better position to like not have that be an issue for you. And like, if it's like foul, foul trouble, like you need to do better at 
not putting yourself in a position where you can get called for a controversial foul. You know what I mean? And like, I'm not saying, well, we'll just don't play defense, but like, you know, we've seen teams do a good job at that. And I think when you look at the bucks, they did that of there are some elite defenders on that team, but they're all really good at not putting themselves in a position where they're going to get called for a foul. Um, So you can play really good defense without putting yourself in a controversial or a a bad position. Um, but outside of that, like, you know, there's also just like, you can say, Oh, well, you know, Chris Paul was playing with a bum left hand and charge was out. Uh, so like they had to deal with injuries. And it's like, again, like get your conditioning up. Um, you know, you can't take away from the bucks because the Suns were playing injured, but anyway, um, Let's see, we got another question here. What's going to happen with Dame? I don't know, man. That whole situation is really, really interesting to me. I'll I'll come come out of the gate saying I'm a big fan of Damian Lillard as a person and as a player. And I don't think there's anything wrong with him, A, staying in Portland and saying I'm... You know, I'm loyal to this city and to this team and to these fans. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I'm staying in Portland. I don't think there's anything wrong with him doing that. I also don't think there's anything wrong with him um, uh, regressing a trade. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because the front office of that team has clearly shown that they just don't know how to build a contender. Um And just, like, continuing to run it back basically with the same team, but, like, adding a 37-year-old Carmelo Anthony uh, is, like, that. that's not going to win you a title. Like, they they kind of, to a certain extent, getting to the conference finals two years ago uh, in the Western Conference was, like, a bit of a fluke. Um, And then we saw that because, A they were immediately swept in the Western conference finals by the warriors. Um, but B, they also made it. I think they missed the playoffs the next year. And then last year they no. So it was two years ago that they made the Western conference finals. Then last year, uh, they had the play in and then they got the gentleman sweep from the Lakers. And then this year they lost in, I think seven to the nuggets in the first round. So like clearly they didn't have the recipe to like have a championship team and make it to the finals. Cause they basically, like I said, just ran it back with the same team like year after year after year. And it's not working for them. So I can completely understand his frustration. And then also with the Chauncey Billups hire this, this year was very uh, iffy. Um, and I'm not really going to go into that here, but if you want, you can definitely look up some really good articles. Um, I know the ringer had some good articles on it. Um, if you you go listen to spinsters, um, Haley O'Shaughnessy and Jordan Liggins, they did a really good podcast on it. Um, uh, a couple weeks ago to, to kind of go into that, but that was just another like thing that was just like, I think there's a lot of straws, that the trailblazers are pulling at that um, you do have to wonder when is going to be the last one where Dame has just had enough and he's out. But so 
I, I don't, I can't tell you, I don't know what, cause you know, we're not in his head. And so it's hard to say what he's going to do because he's shown in the past that he is loyal to the team, continually re-signing with them, signing max extensions with them saying specifically, I want to play my entire career in Portland. I don't want to just go somewhere to form a super team. Like I want to like have it built around me. And I think he does still feel that way. But I think he also, I think it was like last week was quoted as saying like this, like this organization has shown that like, they just don't know how to do that. And like, he's continually said like, I want to stay here. I want to build a contender here, but like, they're just not doing him any favors and they're not helping him out at all. So you can't get upset with him for me. Like, all right, like enough is enough. Like I've given you like 10 years of my career uh, and we have one Western conference finals to show for it. And like, we haven't made like any big moves to like help me out. So like, sorry, I'm out. Um, if he does get traded, I know the Lakers rumors are always going to be super hot, but I don't think there's really any chance he goes to the Lakers. Um, I think the Lakers would have to give up way too much. I mean, we're talking like Taylor Horton, Tucker, uh, Dennis Schroeder, um, Kyle Kuzma, uh, probably a, at least two picks. And that's going to be just for Damian Lillard. Um, I don't know. I think they're going to have to basically do another trade that they did for Anthony Davis, where they're giving up like three or four good young up and coming players for one established player um, where, you know, you can look at it and say, Hey, the Lakers won the championship last year. So it worked out for them. And, you know, I think that's definitely an approach and they could do that. Just give up, uh, everything in the kitchen sink for Damian Lillard and just literally trust the three of them to not get injured at all and stay healthy through the entire postseason and regular season to get a favorable enough seed. Um, and then that they have good chemistry together and they'll make it to the finals and win the championship. Maybe. Um, but maybe not. And then they'll be looking like fools for having given up so much uh, for not a championship. Because when you're going to make a move like that, you have, it's like, it's championship or bust for a move like that. Um, does a small market team like the Bucks winning help teams like the Jazz, the Thunder, and such become destinations for talent or irrelevant? Um, no, I think it's definitely relevant. I think it helps. Um, and I think Chris Paul going to the Suns helped that as well because the Suns were also a small market team. You know, Phoenix is not a big market. Um, so Phoenix and Milwaukee, both not only making it to the finals, but Milwaukee showing if you just really, if you look at it, Milwaukee is a great example of what could have been with Damian Lillard because Giannis was drafted, I think 13th, this young lanky kid from Greece, unproven and is definitely a, a, a big risk by the Bucks draft night no one was pumped for it Bucks fans were pissed um for the first probably two two and a half years everyone was just like what was what were we doing here like yeah he doesn't look bad but like we took him the 13th pick like what are we doing here um and then all of a sudden he starts going to the gym a lot he actually had this in my note um in eight years Giannis put on 46 pounds of muscle um so he hit the gym uh, in multiple ways. Um, 
But so all of a sudden he starts turning into this really talented player and the Bucks all along are doing what they can to surround him with um, with good role players that can play alongside him. The team shows that they're invested in him. They, you know, they um, they build a new uh, arena. They give him a max contract. They make a trade for Drew Holiday that a lot of people were saying was way too much of a trade for someone like Drew Holiday. Uh, they make a great move by getting like Bobby Portis and uh, PJ Tucker. And, you know, they just, they do these moves along the way that show that they're invested in their player and that they're like, Hey, we're here for you. And we're believing in you for the long haul for this. Um, like it's going to be worth it. And so he was convinced then to sign the max contract last year with them and, and run it back. And now they have a championship. And so you can look at that same recipe for the Blazers, but like they're just not investing the time or the money. Um, they, you know, they did a great job with like drafting CJ McCollum. I think it was good. I think they are a dynamic backcourt, but like they've had some real issues with like the small forward power forward position for years. They've had like, a real weird issue with like getting way too many centers who are like the same exact player, like having Zach Collins, Yusuf Nurkic and Hassan Whiteside all on the same team is just so illogical. Um, make no sense for them to, to make those kind of moves. Like uh, they're, it's just like they've made no real efforts to like show that they believe in Dame and they want to build around him and keep him. So who knows? Um, yeah, Knicks legend Bobby Portis finally getting his ring. This one's for New York. Um, what were the big turning points in the finals games? Uh, I think really there was one turning point, and I think it was in game two, and it was – well, there's a couple things, I guess, but it was all in game two, and that was just like it. It was the Bucks sticking Drew Holiday – on Chris Paul because in game one they had PJ Tucker on him and then they would just keep running a pick and roll to get either Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis um, switched onto him. And then that was just like game over. And that's why he scored like 50 points combined the first two games. Um, but like halfway through game two, they just decided to have Drew Holiday, their best on ball defender stick with Chris Paul and, and uh, full court press him every single possession which was really, really smart. And then I think the other one was just like, hey, Giannis, uh, you're bigger and stronger than everyone on their team. Like, why aren't you playing like it? Um, and then he's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's probably a good point. And then he, like, averaged, like, 45 points from then on uh, in the series. So, because we saw in game one, the issues that are we're seeing throughout all of the Bucks postseason losses where he's pulling up for jumpers. He's taking way too many threes. He's taking like heat check, turnaround, like Dirk fadeaways from the elbow. And it's like, this isn't your game, man. Like you need to basically play like 2001 Shaq where it's just drop step hook or drop step dunk on them or drop step <laughs> spin move. Like that's, that's your bag. Um, 
And we saw him get in his bag, and that's why he shot basically 60% from the field for the entire finals and averaged almost 40 points a game. So I think those were the two big turning points for them. I know obviously Sharish going down in game one was big because they had to then rely on DeAndre Ayton a lot more uh, and, and play him a lot more minutes than he was used to. Um, but those were really the big two, two turning points, I think. Um, so a couple quick notes I wanted to hit real quick. Um, and then I'll get to some more questions if you guys have any, and then we're going to recap kind of the entire NBA season. Um, just some thoughts I had while watching the game last night. Number one, Devin Booker is an elite shot maker and shot taker, but he needs to get better at playing off ball. He cannot just rely on playing ISO. Uh, and this was really shown in this series specifically where, especially when he's playing with someone like Chris Paul, um, he obviously had to adjust his game in playing with Chris Paul this year because he's going to be your primary ball hander, handler, whereas Booker was more used to kind of having the Kobe Bryant role of being a scoring guard who the offense just runs through them. But they made the adjustments. They, it obviously worked out for them. They were the number two seed and made it to the finals. But with a team as defensively elite as the Bucks, specifically with on-ball defenders like Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, P.J. Tucker, guys that can stick with you, you need to figure out alternative ways to play your game. And Devin Booker showed that he still just kind of only knows how to play iso ball. Um, and that'll win you a bunch of games in the regular season. That can get you through some postseason, uh, some you know playoff games. But when you're going up in the finals against a team like that, you need to be better off the ball so that Chris Paul can create more offense for you as opposed to you having to create it all yourself. So I think I think the two things that uh, Devin Booker needs to work on this offseason are um, off-ball movement and, uh, and, and, yeah, off-ball movement, really, and being able to play off-ball. Um, and try to just continue to work on his defense. I... I He's not a bad defender at all. There are some really good points last last night in the game where he was playing some really good ball denial on Chris Middleton, and it was like really cool to see like him take that responsibility and um, did a really good job, really up until like the fourth quarter um, of keeping Chris Middleton pretty much out of the game. Um, but I think if he's able to take his defense to that next level, um, that'll really put him over a big hump of, you know, he, again, it's not like he's like a Trey young where he's like a complete liability on defense. Like he's an incredible offensive weapon, but like defensively it's like a nightmare and he's like the worst defender in the league. Um, but if he can get to the point where he is playing defense, like, um, like someone like Chris Paul plays or like, uh, someone like a, like a Mikhail bridges where it's like, just better instincts knows how to stay, keep his body in front of people. Um, and I don't know. I think there's just some things he can work on with his defense where if he gets it to the next level, that'll really like be a massive improvement, not only for him, but for the Suns as well. Um, elite defense hurts Booker. If he could get easy shots like clay three to four times a game, that would be huge. Great. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, you look at clay Thompson, that's a great example of he's, in my opinion, he's the best shooter in the league. 
Um, I think he's a, I've said this, this is kind of like my, one of my hot takes for basketballs. I think Clay Thompson is a better shooter than Steph Curry. I think Steph just shoots more and puts more up and he makes more entertaining shots because he has a, he has a weird release and B he'll just like pull up from like 35, like 20, like with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. And you'll be like, that's a dumb shot, but he'll make it. So you're like, no, it's not a dumb shot. It's his shot. Anyways, I think Clay Thompson's a better shooter than him. But you see someone like Clay, who's able to play so well off the ball and get himself to these really good uh, positions to take an, a, a fairly open shot. Um, I think that's key. I mean, obviously, he's good at creating his own offense as well. Um, and, you know, he's, he, you know, he can create his own offense if he needs to, but he doesn't have to rely on that. Um, okay. Point number two, Giannis is better than James Harden at getting to the foul line. Um, this is something I never thought anyone was going to overtake James Harden at because like, my God, is he so good at getting contact, drawing contact, selling it, and then, um, you know, getting the foul called in his favor and getting to the line. And not only that, he's a very good free throw shooter, but Giannis, it's just, it's clear cut. You can't argue it. He's the best in the league at getting to the free throw line. You just can't argue it. I mean, he was first overall this year in free throw attempts, and he was second um, the three years before that. So for the past four years, he's been top two at free throw attempts in the NBA for the regular season. Um, So, excuse me. Um, So there's just like, you know, you can't argue it. He's just really good at getting contact. Personally, I think some of those calls are surprisingly uh, favorable for him. It's a little weird sometimes when we watch because he is really good at, at creating contact and getting people to foul him. You can't argue that. But there are some times where he does this thing where he just runs at the basket, but his hand, his ball handles almost aren't good enough for him to actually get to the basket and like get a shot like a a try to get a layup or finish at the rim and he'll like lose control of the ball and of his body. And it almost leaves the defender with no, like nowhere to go and like no room. And so they just end up fouling him like unintentionally. And it's just like, he basically is losing control and just like flails and just like gets into their body and he's going to get the foul call. Like every time it's a little weird. Um, especially for someone like him, like his size, where you see someone like uh, a LeBron James or like a DeAndre Ayton, um, a lot of these bigger guys, they don't get a lot of these foul calls because they're so big and strong and they're not flailing like these three-point shooters. Um, they don't get nearly as many foul calls as they should be, but Giannis is actually getting, I think, getting more than he should be. But all that to say, <clears throat> he is definitely overtaking that spot as the best at drawing contact. Uh, let's see what else. The Suns don't have any finishers. Everyone was always looking to get their jump shot instead of driving to the rim and finishing. This, I think, was the biggest downfall for the Suns. Um, and the Bucks absolutely figured this out and took advantage of it pretty early on in the series. Um, the Suns absolutely are doing everything they can to revitalize the mid-range game um, with guys like Chris Paul and Devin Booker and um, even DeAndre Ayton just taking like 
eight to 10 mid-range shots a game and making most of them and making it an issue. Um, <clears throat> but the problem with that is that they got so comfortable doing that and they got so adjusted to that being their game plan that when it came to a team like Milwaukee with their defense where they can stay up on you and it's a lot harder to create a shot like that um, in the mid-range, they needed to be able to get to the rim and they needed to be able to try to force their way to the basket and try to try to finish at the rim. And they weren't doing that. So A, they weren't getting nearly as many foul calls as the Bucks were because when you look at the Bucks, Chris Middleton is definitely their jump shooter, but like Drew Holiday, Giannis, um, Brooke Lopez, those guys are all getting majority of their shots at the rim. They're driving, going for layups, trying to finish and draw contact. The Suns were living with Devin Booker ISO looking to get a mid-range jump shot. Chris Paul pick and roll looking to get the elbow jumper. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, campaign, uh, Jay Crowder, Cameron Johnson, all parking outside of the three-point line, waiting for the other guy to create enough room for them to pass it out to them to get the three-point shot. And they're just, they were too comfortable living with the jump shots. Uh, and I think that really hurt them. So I think it, you know, we saw when Chris Paul would drive and he was looking to score, he would finish most of the time at the rim. Um, you know, obviously you're not going to get a call or a basket in your favor every single time, but he's a good finisher at the rim. And obviously he's slowed down and uh, he's older, you know, he's 36, so he can't do that as much anymore. But like guys like Devin Booker, like that's another thing I think with his playing off ball, he needs to work on his off ball, like back screen, like cuts to the basket. Like don't always look to come off the screen and like pick and pop, like look to roll to the basket, look to cut to the basket and have someone feed you so you can finish at the rim, especially being as good of a free throw shooting team as they are. They're like not taking advantage of that at all. So that was another thing I noticed. Uh, specifically last night's game, both teams shot horribly from three. Um, we kind of saw this from the Suns. We kind of saw this from both teams throughout the entire finals. I mean, the Suns had that one game where they shot like 20 of 40 um, from three, but last night Milwaukee shot 22% from three and Phoenix shot 25% from three. So another thing that I think made this finals a little more exciting um, and different and interesting to watch was it wasn't just a bunch of three point shooting. Um, we saw throughout the series, Devin Booker looking less for his three point shots and more for his mid range shots. Um, Chris Paul didn't take nearly as many threes in the series as he normally would. It was mostly just like Jay Crowder Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, those kind of three guys were the ones who were taking majority of the threes in them for the Bucks. Giannis did a, a good job throughout the series, relying less on taking threes, which he's not even good at. Um, Drew Holiday started taking less threes. Brooke Lopez started taking less threes. Um, and they kind of left it more to like Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, uh, Chris Middleton to take their threes. I mean, they both shot terribly last night, but... That was just an interesting point. Um, we never got a Kobe-LeBron matchup in the finals, uh, but I would love to see LeBron and Giannis in the finals. Um, we never got to see kind of LeBron 
coming into his prime in his prime against Kobe in his prime coming out of his prime in the finals. Uh, I mean, we never got to see him in the finals in general, but it would the timing of it would have been like most likely early 2010s. Um, and it was just, they just kind of missed each other. You know, LeBron was in the finals 2007 and then he made it again, I think 2012 and on, um, or 2011 and on. Um, and then Kobe was in the finals basically like 2008 to 2010. So they just missed each other. But so it was kind of like this young, this younger up and coming, but more established player against the grizzled veteran star. Um, but now we can get that kind of reverse with LeBron in the Kobe role of a grizzled star veteran who has a very big chance of being get back to the finals again. And Giannis in this young, up-and-coming, but fairly established star who it's kind of turning into their league. Um, and I think that'd be a really fun finals matchup uh, for a lot of reasons. A, just because it'd be two big names kind of passing of the torch moment. But also, I think that would be probably the most favorable defensive matchup you can have against Giannis in the NBA. Because you have LeBron, who is... A big, strong boy, uh, but also very quick and agile and a really great defender. But then you also have um, Anthony Davis, who uh, can also do just as good a job, I think, at defending Giannis, uh, if not maybe better than LeBron, just because he has the height advantage as well. Um, but I think those that team would present probably the biggest defensive uh, front for Giannis. So I think that would also just make a really entertaining series to watch of seven games of those guys playing each other. So I hope we're able to get that. <clears throat> um, I mean, I was really happy to not see LeBron in the finals for once, but I would love to see LeBron and Giannis go at it in the finals. That'd be really special. Um, so then kind of moving forward, um, coming out of this season, going into next season, some some things for each team to I mean, let's just get out of the way. Bucks really don't need to do anything more, I think. They can kind of just run it back because at this point, I don't know if there's many other moves they can make like logically to improve their team because like Drew proved that he was worth that trade and that he was worth the contract. Um you know, he's really inconsistent offensively, but with this kind of new gear that Giannis has unlocked offensively for himself, like you don't really need Drew that much. And his on-ball defense is still like some of the best in the NBA. Chris Middleton, I think, is here to stay, and he's proven that he's uh, an all-star level player offensively and defensively. Giannis is here to stay. I think you're probably going to want to try to look for someone to – backup slash replace Brooke Lopez and his role that he had. I mean, Bobby Portis is a good, good backup, but um, he doesn't, the thing that helped them out in this series was his ability to play in the post. Um, obviously he's a decent three point shooter now. I mean, Bobby Portis was top five, three point shooter this season. Um, but Lopez is getting older. Um, so 
you got to try to look to fill that hole probably pretty soon here with someone in a similar role. Um, but outside of that, just run it back. Cause I mean, like, especially when you think of like, they didn't have Dante DiVincenzo, who's not like a household name at this point, but he's, he's a good, really good backup for someone like Drew Holiday. And I think he has a really good role in this team with like, he's a decent shooter. Um, he's a good rebounder. He's a good passer. He's a good defender as well. Um, literally exactly what Keller just said. Yeah. Um, and they were missing him for pretty much the entire playoffs this year. So, um, you know, he's definitely a much bigger step up than Jeff Teague coming off the bench. So, um, for the Bucks, I think you run it back. For the Suns, I think the number one thing uh, that they learned throughout the season, especially in these finals, is get a uh, more reliable backup center. Um, no hate for Frank Kaminsky. I don't love him, but I don't hate him. But, like, he just showed that he was useless to them in this series. And apparently they just, I don't know what he said to someone's mom at practice or whatever, but they do not want to put Jalen Smith in at all. Um, So I don't know what he did, but they took them with the 13th pick last year and they didn't use him at all in this entire postseason or really throughout the regular season at all. So like clearly they don't, they have trust issues with him. So Frank Kaminsky ain't it. Sharks is out for the year. You're going to, you, you just, you need someone else uh, off the bench f- to give Aiton some rest. So they need to get some, a backup center on that team. Um, so they need more reliable depth for that. Uh, if they have any, they won't have any hope to make it through the playoffs or even into the playoffs next year. Um, I think that's the main thing. I think really the Suns can pretty much run it back again next year. I think they need, um, I think they need to get someone who can create a little bit more offense for themselves at like a wing position because like you have Chris Paul, you have Devin Booker and then coming off the bench, you have campaign. Um, those three guys can create offense for themselves, so you can rely on them. But like, then you have like Mikhail Bridges, who can't create for himself. I mean, he can, and he showed that in flashes, which is why I really like him as a player. Because like, when he played confidently on the offense, like he he looks really good. Um, so maybe they'll get that in him next year, and him being more confident of a playmaker and like creating a shot for himself. But, like, Jay Crowder is just going to camp at the three-point line and take threes. Cam Johnson, he 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 also did show he's much more than just a three-point shooter. So I guess part of this thing for the Suns is you just have to let these guys develop too. But I, I'm just thinking more of, like, along the lines of, like, when you put in, like, Abdel Nader or, like, Torrey Craig or Sharich or guys like that, they they're not really creating their own offense, and you need – to, you know, you need to have a little more depth than I think they did this year in that in that department. So I'd say go for that as well. But that's what kind of all I had for the finals. Um, I need to take a quick water break here. So if you guys have any questions, feel free. But then I'm, I just have like a list of highlights from this year in the, in the NBA that I want to just go through to kind of celebrate this season. 
Wow. When the light gets to the blue, it's like <clears throat> it really kind of floods the room. It's crazy. Like the green, it's nice and light. The turquoise, it's all, it's just like nice lighting turning into the yellow. And then we get the orange. Ooh, that's nice. And into the purple and the pink. And then it just gets to the blue and it's just like, I feel like I'm like in the blue man group or something. Anyways. All right. So moving on then from the finals, um, the NBA season is over and that makes me sad. Um, excuse me. My goodness. I did not mean to do that into the mic. Um, obviously, as if, if you're here, you know this. The NBA is my favorite sport. My, you know, basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way the dribble and down the court. Uh, I keep it so fresh on the microphone. Um, focus. I love the NBA. Love watching it. Uh, and it's helped me through some tough times the past couple of years. Uh, so I'm always really sad when the bat, when the NBA finishes their season. Um, but just like with anything else that ends, uh, it's important to also celebrate it. Not just be sad that it's over, but be happy that it happened. Um, and this was a weird year for the NBA. Uh, we all know that. Weird season. A lot of stuff happened, but it was a great year. I think it was a, a, a really fun, unique, different, exciting season for the NBA. Uh, and a lot of stuff happened, part of which, you know, every time we do this, so I got to be honest, I kind of steal this stuff from, uh, from Wob. If, you, if any of you guys know him, if you're on Twitter at all, uh, Rob Perez um, on Twitter. I think his handle is Worldwide Wob. Um, but he's kind of like a talking head on Twitter for the NBA, um, for basketball. And he always does this thing at the end of every season where he basically just does like a highlight reel that's like 10 minutes long of just like all the highlights and like lowlights of the season, just to remember the season. <clears throat> so I kind of watch it and I write down all the ones that I liked that I, um, I want to remember that I think were fun. So thanks to Wob for doing that. He'll never hear this. Um, all right. So let's just get it started. This is, this is uh, in chronological order. So starting us off actually in the off season was James Harden partying in both Atlanta and Las Vegas during training camps. Now this was, um, really when the trade talks were starting to heat up for him. And this is when those pictures were surfacing online that were trying to kind of uh, insinuate that he had gained a lot of weight and was really out of shape. We saw pictures and videos of him partying, partying, excuse me, in Atlanta and Vegas with a bunch of celebrities. Training camp was going on. Um, summer, summer league was going on and he was just like not showing up and he was, seen partying. And then when he was asked about it, he said he was training. Um, and then right before the season starts, we get John wall traded for Russell Westbrook. That was a big trade. Um, obviously rockets go on to be the worst team in the league and the wizards go on to be the eighth seed in the Eastern conference. Um, pretty early on in the season, we saw Steph Curry go off for 62 points, a career high for him, uh, an incredible shooting night for him as well. 
Then, of course, we have the big, massive trade. Uh, James Harden tra- traded to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, that whole saga with him in Houston of wanting to get out of there and just looking like he is not trying at all and trying to get his way out, force his way out. It eventually works, and he gets himself traded to the Nets, teaming up with Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And as soon as he is traded, they immediately become the odds-on favorites to win the title. Um, so that was pretty crazy. I, I don't think anyone forgot about that happening. Um, then this is one that I thought was f- that kind of goes under the radar. Um, inside the NBA, um, post-game, so this is TNT, so it's Shaq, Kenny, Ernie, and uh, Chuck. They're doing the post-game interview with uh, Donovan Mitchell, and this is where Shaq, to his face, tells Donovan Mitchell he doesn't think that he has what it takes to be a superstar. Um, he said it in the pregame, and then in the post-game interview, he literally just says it. He's like, yeah, I said, I don't think you have what it takes. I don't think you have enough in you to be like a superstar and like make it in this league. Like, I don't think you have what it takes. Like I said that on purpose. Like, what do you have to say? And Donovan Mitchell just goes, hi. And then it's a really awkward silence. And he goes, that's it. And then they're like, okay. Shaq would later go on to quote unquote, clarify that he was trying to inspire Donovan Mitchell and get under his skin to, to, you know, become a better player because, you know, have a chip on his shoulder or whatever. It was one of many interesting things that Shaq did this season. Um, But that was the one that made the list. Uh, What else? Kevin Durant getting taken out of a game in the middle of the game uh, because of health and safety protocols where they did contact tracing and he had been in contact with someone who I think tested positive. And so it was literally in the middle of the game that he was playing. They had to stop the game and he was taken out of the game and he was forced to leave. That was weird. Uh... We have a post-game interview after A-Rod buys the Timberwolves where Anthony Wiseman uh, was asked if he was an A-Rod fan growing up, and he said he'd never heard of him, didn't know who Alex Rodriguez was. That was weird. Um, We have Blake Griffin in a three-part. A, getting bought out by the Pistons for way too much money. B, signing with the Brooklyn Nets very soon thereafter. Then C, in his first game back, dunking for the first time in three years. Uh, Did not dunk. I kid you not. After deleting the league for like three or four straight years and slam dunks, as soon as he was traded to the Pistons, every not a single time while wearing a Pistons jersey did Blake Griffin do a slam dunk. And it became this whole almost like conspiracy theory of like he doesn't know how to anymore. He doesn't want to. He doesn't like to do it anymore. It's not part of his game. Um, But then he immediately goes to the Nets and in his first play in his first game for the Nets, uh, slam dunks. So that was fun. Uh, We have the Knicks fans just being happy. That's pretty much one. Um, I mean, obviously there's a specific kind of video of after going into the All-Star break, they're over 500 and uh, there's someone with a camera outside at MSG and the fans are going buck wild and they're acting like they just won the championship. Um, but really the overarching theme there is just the Knicks fans had something to be happy about for once. Um, we have Russell Westbrook setting the new record for career triple doubles, uh, passing Oscar Robertson, incredible feat. Um, 
We have LeBron James saying whoever invented the play-in tournament should be fired, um, even though he was the one who came up with the idea for it. So if you are confused by that or think that's funny, go back and listen to, I did an entire episode on it called LeBron James Wants to Fire Himself, um, where we have empirical evidence proving that LeBron James came up with the idea for the play-in tournament and then when his team had to play in it, he said, this thing is stupid. I hate it. Whoever came up with it should be fired. Uh, so that was really funny. We have Nikola Jokic winning MVP. Finally, another center winning MVPs. First time since Shaquille O'Neal. Um, then we move into the playoffs. We have Trey Young getting spat on in MSG. We have Russell Westbrook having popcorn thrown on him in Philadelphia. We have Kyrie Irving having a water bottle thrown at his head in Boston. Uh, then we have Kyrie Irving stomping on Lucky, the uh, Celtics logo at half at midcourt, uh, and just the entire fiasco that came with that, uh, which was just so unbelievably dumb uh, and overblown. Where Kyrie Irving used to play for the Celtics, left on not good terms with them, and especially with the fans. They play the Celtics in the first round of the playoffs. Kyrie Irving makes a point to go after the game to center court, stomp on the head of the logo that's printed on the court that the players run up and down for 48 minutes straight. Um, And all of a sudden, we're calling this logo by its name, which is apparently Lucky, and we're acting as though Kyrie Irving went into the stands and punched... Uh, Larry Bird right in the face and spat in Bill Russell's face um, because he stomped on the logo of the basketball team on the court. Um, Another Celtics thing then, we had Brad Stevens stepping down from his position as head coach for the Celtics and a little bit of a puzzling move, uh, taking a lateral move then to be the president of basketball operations and Danny Ainge then retiring. Um... We have the Suns and Four guy. Um, not really going to get any more into it because I really don't like to give him that much attention because I'm not a huge fan of what he did. But we have Suns and Four guy. Um, we have Ben Simmons being afraid to shoot the basketball in a professional basketball game. Um, we, you know, I mean, his free throw shooting is awful. His fans during the game in the stands are trying to help him improve his form. We have him with a wide-open dunk um, late in the fourth quarter of a clinching game, and he's too afraid to shoot it, so he passes it out. Um, we have then Joel Embiid throwing him right under the bus immediately following that game. We have Kevin Durant um, wearing the wrong shoe size and then pre- and thus preventing his team from going to the finals. Uh, if you don't know about that, Kevin Durant um, took a – a game-winning or a game-tying shot in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks to tie the game up to send it into overtime. The replay showed that his toe was just barely on the three-point line, making it a two-point shot instead of a three-point shot. And what makes that so crazy is that Kevin Durant likes to wear his shoes a size too big um, when he plays basketball so that it's easier for him to move around and it's more comfortable. So that being said... If he wore his actual shoe size, it would have been a three-point shot, and the Nets would have been in the NBA Finals and not the Bucks. So that's a thing. 
We have the Valley Oop. Uh, game two of the Western Conference Finals with Jay Crowder, the uh, inbounds game-winning alley-oop uh, to DeAndre Ayton. Um, we have CP3 going off for 41 points to win his first-ever Western Conference championship, uh, clinching it in L.A. for against the Clippers, the team he used to play for. Uh, we have Giannis's block on DeAndre Ayton that we just saw in Game 5 of the Finals uh, in what would have been a game-tying uh, alley-oop dunk. Giannis recovered defensively and blocked the dunk, um, and they went on to win the game. And then we have later in that – or sorry, that was Game 4, I think. Game 5, then, we have the uh, infamous now at the end of the game. Uh, Drew Holiday stealing the ball away from – uh, Devin Booker, and then throwing up the alley-oop to uh, Giannis to kind of seal game five for them. And that was the NBA season. Uh, that was your 2020-2021 NBA season. Obviously, those are just some of the just some of the highlights of the season. It was an incredible year. Um, I really enjoyed watching basketball this year, especially the playoffs. Um, I think a lot of people can agree with just the past year and a half has been really weird and, and uh, anxiety-inducing at times. Um, you know, I've had my fair share of anxiety and depressive bouts throughout the past 17, 18 months, and basketball for me has been a huge um, distraction, escape, form of entertainment, um, and joy. Um, so I've fully enjoyed it. I thought it was just another great NBA season and I really enjoyed it. Um, so I'm really excited for next year too. I think it's gonna be another great year. I'm hoping people can stay healthy. I mean, obviously we know, you know, Kawhi did tear his ACL. I think it was a mild tear or not like it was a partial tear. So no timetable on his return yet, but he's out. He's going to be out for a decent part of the season next year. Um, but we should be getting like Clay Thompson back. So the Warriors should be at uh, 100%. Um, Kyrie and Harden should be at 100%. So the Nets should be, you know, at full capacity. Um, Anthony Davis and LeBron should be fully healthy. And they're looking to make some moves um, to beef up their team. So they should be exciting. Jamal Murray should be out for most of the year. So that's a bummer with his ACL. But I will say one thing I saw today. Uh, just as we're kind of wrapping up here, that the Lakers are interested in adding a veteran point guard to their team. And one of those people that they're looking at is Chris Paul. So Chris Paul is a, um, <clears throat> he has this player option for next year. So more than likely, he's going to exercise his player option, which basically, if you don't know that, means that his contract, he technically has one year left on his contract with the Suns. But he has what's called a player option where basically next year he's owed, I think, $44 million. And he can opt out of his contract and basically become what's called a restricted free agent. So he can say, no, I don't want that last year of my contract. I'm going to opt out of it. Um, that's what the player option is called. And so then he will become what's called a restricted free agent where he can visit with other teams, hear offers from them. They can offer him contracts. If for instance, the Lakers were to offer him a, a two year, $30 million deal, he could say, that's it. I'm signing with the Lakers. I want that deal. But because he's a restricted free agent, 
the Suns then have the opportunity to match that contract. And if they do, they have the rights to him and he then stays with the Suns. Um, if not, you know, then if the Suns decide they don't want to match any contract, then he can go wherever he wants. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. I, I think pretty much everyone's expecting him to opt out of his contract and become a free agent um, just to kind of restructure his deal and try to get some decent money. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him. My guess is because he's going to resign for... I'm guessing he's probably going to do like a three or four year deal with the Suns and just kind of ride it out with them and, and finish his career with them and retire at the end of that contract. But we could see him pull LeBron and just do like a two year deal that it has a player option. So it's really just like a one year deal. So he can basically just keep playing it season by season. Um, but yeah, so he might end up on the Lakers, which I, I, I tweeted out today. Um, I said, you know, him joining the Lakers basically goes against everything I like in the NBA because I don't like super teams and I don't like people just join, you know, I, I get it because you just want to win a championship. So you got to do whatever it takes, but like, it's just boring to me. Um, I'd rather teams kind of, you know, build from within and, and use their draft picks to like build around them and stuff like that. Like the bucks did with Giannis. Um, but at the end of the day, Seeing Chris Paul playing his first finals and heartbreakingly lose, I just want to see him win a ring. And so if it takes him signing with the Lakers and joining a super team with them, with LeBron and AD, like, so be it. I just want to see him win a championship at this point. So I don't hate that idea. Um, but we'll see about that. And then the, there's also another name rumored to be on that list is um, Russell Westbrook, which I think would be just a hilariously bad move for the Lakers to make. Um, I don't think, well, maybe I shouldn't say that, but I think LeBron James and Russell Westbrook is probably a top 10, like worst chemistry on court. I think that we could see assembled. Um, and they'll have a good regular season. Everyone will be like, oh, they got it. Like, they know what they're doing. Like, see? But then when it comes to the playoffs, it's just not going to work for them because they both need the ball in their hands way too much. And when it comes to the playoffs, like, LeBron is just not going to falter on that for anyone. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see what happens with the Lakers. We'll see what happens with Chris Paul. But, anyways, that was the NBA season. It was, like I said, it's been a real treat. Um, we know, I know we still have a couple people in here, so if you guys have any other questions, I will happily answer them. Uh, I've really enjoyed the back and forth of this episode. It's been a lot of fun. Um, but don't feel like you need to ask any questions. I always like to offer it up before we sign off. Like I said, we'll probably talk Olympics next week. I'm not positive. Um, I usually don't. I usually plan these episodes like the day before and day of. Um, but I have a feeling with how everything has gone with the Olympics so far, and they haven't even really started yet, uh, we should have a decent amount to talk about next week uh, just because they shouldn't be happening, but they are. Um, so, yeah. So with that being said, um, 
I do want to thank you guys uh, for listening for the audio format. Thank you for listening for those of you who were joining me with the live stream on Facebook. An extra special thank you. Um, <clears throat> I always love getting to kind of have a conversation and interact with people uh, and talk sports. It's one of my favorite things to do. So make sure you're following all the social media um, accounts. Facebook and Instagram was Sports Talk with Swag. Uh, Facebook is where we go live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. for the episodes. Uh, Twitter is STWS Cast. That's where I'm the most uh, active. So if you want to interact with me there, make sure to give it a follow. You can write an email to sportstalkerswag at gmail.com. You can listen to this podcast anywhere. Anywhere. You can listen anywhere. Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. You can hear the audio version. Um, make sure to leave a five-star rating or um, you're going to have to play one-on-one with Giannis. And you don't want to have to do that. So just give us a five-star rating anywhere you can. And with that being said... I do want to thank you guys for hanging out with me and I will see you in the next episode. Peace.